0: Well we um, are in Advent and there's a song that's been sung for almost maybe 200 Advents. Oh uh, holy night, you know this Christmas Carol yes Oh holy night the stars are brightly shining, right uh, And then there's this, this line, uh, a thrill of, Hope, a weary world rejoices. That, that little phrase there is actually going to form the backbone of our theme this year, uh, our Advent theme. And it's quite a packed few words there, both weariness and rejoicing happening together. Uh, It's one of these uh, both ands. And today we're going to talk about both weariness and rejoicing, joy. And we're going to start with joy uh, and end with joy. Uh, To get started, though, I'd love some help. um, I'd love to define for a moment what joy is or maybe what it isn't. But how would you finish that sentence? What would you say um, are characteristics or defining qualities or ways of explaining what joy is, what comes to mind? Just shout it out. A deep feeling? Mm. That's good. Yeah, Amy says happiness doesn't seem adequate. Yeah. And I think the distinction, drawing a distinction between the two is probably, I think, important. They are not the same. What else is joy? Gratitude in spite of circumstances. In spite of circumstances. Yeah. So joy being present no matter what's happening. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. What else would you say? JP, you got something? I would say the way I see it, uh, joy comes after uh, uh, trouble you experience, like a sad experience. That Joy is a rush of emotion after not having joy or happiness. It can come again, as someone else was saying, when there is difficulty at the same time. How about this question? Those are all great, by the way, and we're going we're gonna to talk about those things today. When do we resist joy? Do we resist joy? When? Why? What What do you think about this one? When you're stressed, hmm. yeah, it's too much to hold. Yeah. Mm. So stress can uh, preoccupy us and and keep us out of the moment. And, And you're suggesting that being in the moment is actually really important if we're to experience joy. We feel we don't deserve joy. Hmm. We're going to come to that as well. Yeah, Heather. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Why wouldn't we deserve joy? But I do think it is something we, we think and feel sometimes. When we're cynical... Uh, joy is difficult to hold on to, yeah. Cynicism is, is an interesting response, right? I think often a, a protective response. We've been maybe wounded or disappointed, and a way of dealing with that is by becoming cynical, and that cynicism, I think you're right, can keep joy away. Yeah. You've all done an excellent job of like priming the pump for the things that we're going to talk about today. And we're going to do that by looking at a story in the biblical text that involves two people who knew both weariness and joy. They knew both. Uh, their names were Elizabeth and Zechariah. And the New Testament book of Luke begins with their story, interestingly. Luke, a book about Jesus, does not begin with the story of his parents, Mary and Joseph, although that comes. Um, It begins with Elizabeth and Zechariah's story. And let's just dive right into it. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, during the rule of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest assigned service in the regiment of Abijah, just a a way of, uh, the priest in Israel had, were arranged by families and he's in this family of Abijah and Eugene Peterson who's written the message translation is kind of trying to put it into language that we might understand um, his name was Zachariah his wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron Aaron a priestly line so in, in Israel a, a, a heritage of priests So both Elizabeth and Zechariah come from priestly lines. Together, they had lived honorably before God, careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive, and now they were quite old. Let's just pause here for a moment. What do you notice in these opening verses of their story? What what stands out to you? I'm not looking for anything in particular. What what strikes you? Is yeah. Why is Elizabeth blamed? You said yeah. Uh, I think it's. I think a question might be: Is she being blamed here, or or not? A lot of that's going to come down to how this these few words are translated. Um, We know today that this certainly could be complicated, and if there's blame, um, it certainly may not be hers. I do think back in this this ancient world, they did not have that understanding, of course, and the Bible's a very ancient book uh, written by people who were writing from their perspective. So I don't know. I think Eugene Peterson here in his translation is trying to make it so that blame is neither on Elizabeth or Zachariah, um, by saying that she could just simply not conceive. Other translations might not be quite so forgiving, I'm not sure, but if there is blame being put on her, Mel, it's probably because that would be the ancient understanding of things. Yep. What else do you notice? Yeah, it's a, I think that's a fair point. You're saying um, that this beginning of what's on the screen here for us seems to be trying to make it clear that Elizabeth and Zechariah are not to blame. In the ancient understanding, there also would have been for many an assumption that if you could not have children um, or if you were, had some ailment of some type or some disease, It was connected to your your blamefulness you had done something wrong you had sinned in some way these physical uh, realities of our bodies were connected to sin this is the ancient way of thinking by the way for some it's still the way of thinking today I think unfortunately The biblical text seems to be trying really hard here to say, hey, that's not what's going on. If anybody would be blameless, it would be these two. Yep. Anything else you notice? I wonder if we can also just feel for a moment the, the pain and the loneliness of Elizabeth and Zechariah, at least the potential pain and loneliness. We're not told exactly, but we do know that a little bit later in the text, Elizabeth calls what she has experienced um, a disgrace, that, that she was feeling disgraced by society Um, because, again, this would have been common in the ancient world that if you were unable to bear a child, you would be seen as less, or you would, again, be seen as somewhat sinful, or there, there was a lot of shame connected to it. And I wonder what it would have been like for decades to have had this longing, this desire, this hope, and then to not have that hope realized, and then to feel lonely and on the outside. I mean, all of that emotion is potentially here in this story at the beginning, in just the first couple of verses. Decades of longing and waiting. And I think we know what that's like, whether our story involves infertility or not. And I know some of ours does. But I think we all know. What it is like to hope for something or to want something desperately or to be in search of something and to not find it or get it or have it. And so, this is the context when the story pivots in verse 8 and uh, is with Zechariah as he's on the job um, one day as a priest. It so happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. This was, um, yeah, this did not happen often. Zechariah has this really incredible privilege on this day to step into the most holy part, the most sacred part, And to burn this incense and the congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering and unannounced i like that word there i think it's important unannounced an angel of god appeared just to the right of the altar of incense to me one of the gifts of this story and it's not going to be a major theme of our conversation today but i just want to note it One of the gifts of this story is that it can rekindle a belief that God sees us and knows the burden that we carry and then meets us in our place of need. And sometimes, sometimes what we are longing for and hoping for and waiting for is actually what we receive and other times it isn't. This is a story with, in a sense, with a sense in it, it has a happy ending to it. But, of course, not all stories are like that. And yet it does not change the reality that God sees us and knows us and meets us in our places of longing. So Zechariah was paralyzed in fear, no surprise, But the angel reassured him, don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Again, we are heard by God, seen by God, known by God. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you. You are to name him John. This is John the Baptist. That's the name we probably more commonly know. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents to children, and kindle devout understanding Among hardened skeptics, he'll get the people ready for God. Hmm. Zechariah said to the angel, Do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man, and my wife is an old woman. Do you expect me to believe this? I'd probably ask the same question. One of the commenters, uh, commentators that I was reading this week, he wrote that Zach's question, sorry, can I call him Zach, Zachariah? Zach, <laughs> that was an accident. Zachariah's question made uh, this commentator remember the way that prolonged weariness can close off our hearts. We build walls to protect us from more disappointment. We perhaps even become hard-hearted or jaded or cynical, Jeff, right? Weariness, as the word implies, wears us down. And we can reach a point where we stop looking for joy or we we stop believing that joy is even possible. Have you been there before? I bet you probably have. We doubt that joy could ever come to us again. And then, without warning, as JP said, on the heels of pain and disappointment, it does come. But the angel said, I am Gabriel. The Sentinel of God, in other words, who do you think you're talking to? You know? I've been sent especially to bring you this glad news, but because you won't believe me, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time, God's time. Interesting. So, Zechariah will be unable to speak, which I know for a bit I saw it as a punishment. Do you maybe see it this way too, or have you seen it this way before? Like he did something bad, bad Zechariah, and this is his punishment. He's not going to be able to talk for 10 months. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I like think there's a couple of other things going on potentially. One is that Zechariah's whole world revolves around words. He's a priest, so he prays words all the time on behalf of the people. He leads people through rituals and festivals with words. Priests know the right thing to say to God. They know the right thing to say about God. Words are their livelihood perhaps even their identity. And so perhaps what is happening here is that Zachariah is being put in a space where he can't rely on what he always relies on. And that is a tough space to be in. To have the thing that you know well, are good at, are comfortable with, to have that unavailable to you, Something you've taken for granted to have that no longer available? When we find ourselves in that spot where we realize that maybe we're not as strong as we thought we were or as capable or as in control, it's a very vulnerable place. But I think it's exactly the place where we often soften some. In that vulnerable place, it's possible for pride to lose its grip a little bit and for transformation to spring up from the ground. So maybe part of what's happening here with this imposed silence is that Zachariah is having to do some deep work because what is normally available to him, what is his strength, his go-to is not available. And then there's something about silence, I think. Have you seen this commercial? It's not the commercial, it's a a clip, a picture from the commercial. And I'm not promoting any phone. I don't get any kickbacks, sadly, or else I would. I would gladly show you if I did, but I don't. You see in this commercial, this guy's proposing on a cliff, and there's all this sound of wind. So you can barely make out his voice as he gets down on one knee to her. But don't worry, Google has created the magic eraser, and you can now eliminate the background noise that you don't want so that you can hear what's really important to hear. I think silence is something like that. When you practice silence and you can't probably, well maybe once is enough, but typically you have to practice it with some regularity One of the things that happens is all of that wind, all of that background noise, and we've got plenty of noise in our lives, it tends to lessen. We tend to be able to hear a little more clearly what is important. And Zechariah gets 10 months of silence, Hmm. which might have felt like a punishment at times. I can imagine it, it would have. But I also wonder if he began to understand it as a gift. I'm getting a little ahead of the story, though, so let's go back. Meanwhile, the congregation waiting for Zachariah was getting restless. I love this. You know, everyone's outside. They know how long it normally takes for this whole incense thing, and he's been in there a long time. We've got places to go. The pot roast is in the crock pot. You know, let's get this thing, let's get this thing rolling. And they're wondering what's keeping him so long. When he came out and couldn't speak, they knew he had seen a vision. He, couldn't, he continued speechless and had to use sign language with the people. When the course of his priestly assignment was completed, he went back home. It wasn't long before his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. She went off by herself for five months, relishing her pregnancy. So this, this is how God acts to remedy my unfortunate condition, she said. So, most of the story has been about Zachariah and his day at work. And then he leaves when his shift is over. He goes home. And with Elizabeth, now we have this inbreaking of joy. She relishes her pregnancy. She goes away for five months to kind of bask in this completely shocking, surprising, unannounced gift of joy. This is how joy works, I think, as many of you said when we were kind of trying to define it a moment ago. Joy shows up unannounced, unexpectedly, uninvited, when we would not expect it or think it would be there. It shows up with other emotions. It shows up in the midst of every circumstance, good and bad. This is the nature of joy. This week I was listening to a podcast uh, with Kate Bowler. She's a professor at Duke, and Miroslav Volf, he's a professor at Yale. Two very smarty-pants people, but they're also very down-to-earth people. And they were talking about joy, and this is a longer quote from that podcast. This is Volf uh, talking here. Joy is an emotion about something in our lives, some of you said that, and there can be many things, often conflicting things in our lives, I can rejoice in my child, but can be miserable because my friend is undergoing cancer treatment or something like that, right? And both can be true. Even when I am at the funeral, I could be profoundly sad for the loss, but also joyous for that person having lived such a rich life or having impacted me or others with his life. So there is a sense in which I can rejoice and I can mourn, I can empathize and I can still rejoice. And these two things live together. I just think it's quite common for us to believe that joy can only exist when conditions are perfect. We tell ourselves that if we get our lives just right, then we'll unlock joy. If we, I don't know, follow the latest health fad or parent our kids perfectly or climb the ladder to a certain height, then we'll have joy. Or if we just try hard enough, or believe hard enough, we have this sense that we can manufacture joy. Or we can choose it, just choose joy. Have you heard that expression? Choose joy. Hmm. Let me show you a clip from uh, Kate Bowler, who I mentioned a moment ago. This is her on her Instagram feed, and you have these handouts probably in a seat near you. Um, I've linked all the things that I'm referencing today on the back of that if you want to go and watch them or follow her. But let me show you this very short little clip in which she's talking about this idea of choosing joy. Choose joy. (laughs) It sounds like something, I would believe, doesn't it? so close. The problem, of course, is that joy, not to be too technical about it, it's a gift from God. It's not the same thing as happiness. It is a fullness of expression of, like, peace and love and, and openness to the world that is frequently completely supernatural. You don't just like white knuckle your way into joy. (laughs) You just live your life with as much beauty and truth as possible. And then sometimes you get joy. The idea that we have added joy to the list of like neoliberal virtues. Like if you're just like quite the little bootstrapper and you have the right mental attitude that you too can choose joy. It is an awful commodification of one of the most amazing things that can happen to us. But that's the thing, right? It's like, it happens to us. We don't get to will our way into all the positive feelings of this world. Choose joy. <laughs> it's... We don't get to will our way into all of the positive emotions of the world. But we think we can. Just be a good little bootstrapper. And if anyone was a good little bootstrapper, it was Zach and Elizabeth, as we were saying. That's what verse 5 is trying to make very clear, right? Clear conscience, done all the righteous things, followed all of the commandments. These are two upstanding people from like the most pure, holy, pious lineages possible. And yet they can't manufacture joy. Because joy is an emotion. And emotions are not choices. They come upon us without our planning or choosing. So maybe the question is not, how do I create more joy in my life? Maybe the question is, how do I remain open and ready to receive joy when it arrives? As I said earlier, it's understandable that Zechariah would doubt the glad and joyful message of Gabriel, but it wasn't the only choice available to him. It is possible, even in the midst of weariness, to be open and soft, to hold anticipation, even expectation, as hard as that is, for the arrival of joy. Can we be ready to receive it? I'm going to show you one more Instagram reel, and it's uh, just a reading of this poem that's on the back of this sheet. Joy Chose You. The volume's a little low on this. I'll turn it up as much as I can, but again, you can read along if you would like to on the back of that sheet. Joy does not arrive with a fanfare on a red carpet strewn with the flowers of a perfect life. Joy sneaks in a cup of coffee watching the sun hit your favourite tree just right and you usher joy away because you are not ready for it your house is not as it must be for such a distinguished guest but joy cares nothing for your messy home or your bank balance or your waistline you see joy is supposed to slither through the cracks of your imperfect life that's how joy works you cannot invite her you can only be ready when she appears and hug her with meaning because in this very moment, joy chose. We tell ourselves that if our home gets picked up enough, or our bank account becomes high enough, or our waistline small enough, then we'll deserve joy, as Heather was saying earlier. Because we recognize that joy's quite a distinguished guest, and sometimes we feel unworthy to welcome her, but this is the way that joy works, showing up, unexpected, uninvited, slithering through the cracks of your imperfect life, showing up when you are tired, showing up when you are weary, and our invitation is to hug joy with meaning when she does arrive. From what we can tell, Zachariah's 10 months of silence changed him, and he perhaps learned to hug joy with meaning. Look at these verses that we get to later in the text. John has been born, Zachariah is now able to speak, and he speaks this blessing, this is the last part of it, and you, My little son will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. This is someone who was maybe a bit cynical or doubtful. And after some time alone, in the quiet, has been changed. His heart has been transformed. And so I wonder what this story might, how it might change you, what it might want to change in you. Perhaps there is an invitation in this story for you to simply be more open to joy, more ready to receive it, because maybe you've come to believe that you don't deserve it or that it could never return to you or never arrive given your circumstances. But this story speaks the truth that joy shows up even in the darkest hour, even when we are most tired It's an unexpected, uninvited, and yet welcomed guest if we can receive it. Maybe this story is an invitation to silence. Some of you have been practicing that in our group Sundays the last three times. We offered it wondering, would anyone do it? We just thought we'd try it, and we had, I don't know, half a dozen people every week that we offered it. Stay in here. Now, those half a dozen people were not better than the rest of you who chose something else. <laughs> but it was just interesting to us, that I think, this recognition that we have, that we need silence. We need spaces where there is less noise, where we can hear what is really important to hear. Maybe this story is inviting you to that Practice. And maybe the invitation for you this morning is simply to remember that God is with you. God sees you, hears you, knows the weariness that you carry, and promises to be with you in it. Maybe that's the invitation for you this morning.